being redeemed. And the anchor to our soul that being redeemed is. Why is it an anchor to our soul? Well, redeemed is that word that refers to being, in a sense, bought out of slavery. It was the price that was paid to, to, to set someone free from slavery or oppression. The, that term for being bought out of the slave market, so to speak. You were redeemed. The, the, the price of redemption had been paid, whatever it was. And we can identify this because we all have this secret fear of being enslaved or slowly getting into slavery, one of the reasons why, there's, there's so many different movies out there that, that kind of use this idea, this, this trope, this, this uh, you know, think of the Matrix, right? You have all of these people who are secretly enslaved by the machines, right? And, and they don't even know it. Or... Uh, we think of uh, the Lord of the Rings and the, the gruesome creature that Gollum was because he was enslaved to the One Ring, right? Or even in the Chronicles of Narnia, in The Lion, the Rich, and the Wardrobe, where Edmund goes through the wardrobe into the land of Narnia and he, uh, he eats the Turkish delights the queen gives him. Why? Not realizing that they were enslaving him as he ate them. We have this fear of being enslaved and of, of being enslaved without even realizing it. Because slavery is something that we really abhor. We, we value the freedom. And in fact, it seems like our civilization overall has with the, the idea of liberalism as a concept is the idea that we can be free to be myself, right? The freedom to choose, the freedom to choose to be myself without anyone else unless I so choose to have them in my life, right? Like if I could just be free to, to, to set who I am up for myself and if I could be free to, to express myself the way I want and not to have the wrong people in my life but to have the right people in my life then I'm, then I'm free, right? And it seems like if you think back, you know, ever since the monarchies started to fall, right? Like there's this idea, this fight to, to let human beings be free, <laughs> to make the choices that they want to make for their lives. In fact, we have it encapsulated, right, in the Declaration of Independence in our country, right, that all men are created equal and are, are, have the God-given rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And you say, why would you question that, Pastor? Well, why, why, of course, everyone believes that we should have this, this freedom, this right to pursue what we love, what would make us happy, I want to look, first of all, at point number one, desires enslavement, because my argument this morning is to start off and to think about this idea of enslavement is to say that if, if all you want is a freedom of choice, if I put it this way, in a sense, if all you want is the freedom to make any choice you want and let it be 
for yourself as, as valid as it, you know, if, you know, as valid as it is for you, if that's what's going to pres- help you pursue happiness for yourself, if all ch- choices are valid that way, then actually freedom of choice is a mask for slavery. Freedom, freedom of choice is a mask for slavery. Now, what, what, what do I mean by that? Well, it's even right here in, in Ephesians chapter 1, in the word that we translate in English, trespasses, which we don't use very much in modern English. I've never heard my son or my daughter say, Dad, I, I trespassed against you. Okay, so, so we don't use that word. We, we might say sinned. We might say, hey, I was mean. Or we use other words, but the word trespass here is a very specific word. There's other words in the Bible for sin. For instance, that there's a word that means to miss the mark. And it's the idea of you, you missed the standard. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't reach what you were supposed to reach. You didn't hit the target you were supposed to hit. But the word trespass is, is more of a relational word. It means you, you did something that potentially could break the relationship. It, it, would, it would set the relationship on edge. It's, it's un, in the process of, of falling apart. It's in the process of, of breaking down. And, and trespasses are those things where it, it breaks relationships down. The things that we do that break relationships down. And those trespasses are, create, in that sense, a threat of abandonment. They create, create the threat of, of being alone. They, they create the threat of, 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 of being insufficient. And it creates a fear and therefore an enslavement. Can I, can I give you a couple illustrations of this? Say, say that you are poor... But you have a lot of friends who are rich, okay? Now, I want to qualify this by saying it's, it's not wrong to be poor. It's not like God hates you if you're poor. In fact, there's a lot of nobility about being poor, okay? So uh, I'm not trying to say one is bad, worse than the other. I'm just saying it creates the scenario. Why? Because rich people don't like to talk about the ways they need to save money or the ways that, hey, my car broke down and I can't afford to buy a new one, or I can't afford to fix it. Uh, I'm feeling tight. I feel constrained. But, but if, you're, if you're poor and you're hanging out with some rich friends, they tip, you know inherently, because they, they never talk about how their car broke down and they can't fix it, okay? That's not anything they, they ever talk about. So for you to bring up something like that with them is to kind of break this code of things we talk about, Right? And, and you're, you're in this awkward situation because you want to be known. You want to be in relationship. You want to be known that, hey, my car broke down, and, and uh, I know, uh, can you pray for me? Can, you know, maybe even, can you know, know so, some way you can help me out? But, but you don't want to do that. Why? Because to do that is to break this relationship that's already set up, in a sense. And if you're more wealthy, you might think, but I, I don't mind if someone brings that up. Yes, but you don't bring up your own issues with money, so why would they bring it up with you? There's no reciprocity there, in a sense, right? It makes an awkward scenario. 
Now, what you could do in that scenario is say, well, get rid of anybody like that in your life. You know, if you can't bring up stuff that you feel you need to talk about to be known, to be understood, to be loved, then get rid of those people from your life. But what if you love those people? <laughs> Not because they're rich, but because of other reasons. <laughs> you see how these things break relationships down over time. You're, you're kind of caught in a trap, if you will. To be known means to bring something up that could be shameful or potentially hurtful to the relationship. But at the same time, if you don't bring it up, you're not known. You're not appreciated, you're not loved for who you are. These, these kinds of tensions, these kinds of issues pop up all over the place, right? Right? We talk about sexuality, right? When I, when I was growing up, you were talking about sexuality. It was, it was um, in the 90s, it was all about DNA. Like, the arguments were all based on uh, DNA. Like, if you had certain DNA, then you're predisposed a certain way. And, and a lot of it didn't really make sense very much. In fact, they couldn't really prove it. They just kind of said, this is maybe how it works. I, I feel like young, young people today are a little more honest. Like, they're just based on their desire. Like, what, what do you want? <laughs> and, well, this is what I want, and so this is the way I choose, and this is, this is who I am then. And, and it's all based on desire. But the problem is, is if you relativize all desire so that any choice is valid, then all of a sudden, none of them are valid. Not because they're not valid, but because none of them can provide lasting happiness. Like, we all know that there's a certain set of choices that won't provide lasting happiness. We know that. We intrinsically know that because we've made a few of those over the years, and we're like, I don't want to make that one again, you know. And, and so we, just, we know that we can't just make any choice. Just make any choice you want. Make it true for you, and you'll be happy if you made that choice. We know that's not true. And yet, we try to live that way in our world. We try to make everyone say, yes, you can choose anything you want out there. And if, if you choose that choice, it's good for you. Hopefully, you'll be happy. But by relativizing all desires out there, ultimately, all we do is create enslavement to all desires because th none of those desires ultimately provide happiness. How do I know that? Because I know myself. One day I like peanut butter jelly sandwiches. The next day I don't. Why was that choice such, you know, like, well, peanut butter jelly sandwiches, they're not a big deal, you know. Sometimes I like to have all the money I could wish I could have, and other times I'm perfectly content having not enough money. Why is that? Why does that matter? Because, honestly, happiness is not ultimately dependent on having a freedom of choice. But that's what our culture is set up to do. And it doesn't matter which side of the culture war you're on. One side of the culture war is saying, hey, we need to get back to our tradition. We need to remember our culture's values and the things that are truly important. And if we just got back to that, then we'd be happy. 
The other side of the culture war is saying, no, you need to be true to yourself. You need to find out what's good for you. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Just be what's good for you is all that matters. And then if you find that for yourself, you'll be happy. But they're both presupposing that what's good for you is what you know. That you are the ultimate arbiter of happiness. That you know what's good for you. That you can decide what's, what's ultimate happiness and you, and you can actually experience it for yourself. Well, I don't know about you, but I find myself during the happiest times of my life also doubting. <laughs> like, is this as good as it gets? How do I know? You know? I've got seven kids. It's awesome. But maybe eight would be better. Or maybe six would be better. I don't know. Right? We doubt ourselves even when we're happy. So, so if the, the problem is, is that when we relativize all choices, rather than freedom of choice giving us ultimate happiness, freedom of choice just, it ultimately twists that choice And enslaves us. And that's why movies like The Matrix work. Because we get it. We look around at ourselves, we look around at our world, and we say, well, how, do, how do I get out of the, the trap that I'm in? What I'm suggesting partially is that the culture war, that not, there's not... There's aspects of the culture war that are good. To have opinions, to think about what's good and true and beautiful is, is worth that process. But there's parts of it that are just simply a mask for slavery. It's just a mask. You're like, they want you to pick a side. They want you to go about your, your, your life and be like, I've got to fight for this or I've got to fight for this. And it's simply another form of slavery masquerading as choice. What if having the freedom of choice without actually choosing what is truly the greatest and the best is slavery? What if, let me repeat this, what if having the freedom of choice without choosing what is truly the greatest and the best is slavery? Proverbs puts it this way. It says, how can a fool have the price of wisdom in his hand and not use it? What he's saying is, we all have the, the, the ability to, to choose wisdom, to, 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 make the, to, to pay the price, to find wisdom for ourselves, but we often don't take it. We don't choose, or we choose wrongly. Because not all choices are valid. Not all choices bring lasting happiness. And the problem is, as we look at our lives, if we're honest, we say to ourselves, okay, but if that's true, then I know I've already made choices that don't bring lasting happiness. So where am I? How do, how do we get out of this mess? If, if, it's, if freedom of choice doesn't bring freedom, then how do I get free? 
And this is where the Bible steps in with a clear picture of what God has done for us in Christ. And he provides true freedom for us. True freedom. Not a freedom to do whatever I please, but a freedom even from myself and my own enslavements. And that's what we see here talked about in brief in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is an amazing statement where it compresses so many things into a few phrases. In him we have redemption. That is, we are bought out of this enslavement. We are bought out of this this. this forcing to be ourselves, like, like you have to figure yourself out or you can't be free. You're, you're free even from that sense. We have re- redemption through his blood, that is through what Christ has done for us, through his death on the cross, we receive this payment out of our enslavement. The forgiveness of our trespasses, all the ways that we break relationships with God and with others are the word here for forgiveness is cast away. <laughs> and it's, it's a deliberate play on words here. The things that should separate us, those things are separated from us. Th- that's the, the sense of it here. The things that would cause us to be disunited are the things that are thrown away from us. And how is that possible? Again, because of Christ's death on our behalf. And not only is this sufficient, like, oh, you've got just enough to cover all the things you've done wrong, but it says here, according to the riches of his grace. And the the word here for riches is is the idea for wealth, it's the idea of overflowing, abundance. You've got more than enough of God's grace to cover all the ways that you break relationship with God and others. Grace, a great acronym for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That is, Christ paid the price so that you could receive all the riches of his grace and his blessing and his goodness to you. And one of the greatest blessings, the greatest things you have is that all the ways you mess up are redeemed. Can I, can I just talk about this? Uh, let's just go to a passage of Scripture that describes this in detail. So go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I want you to see it. So turn, turn your Bible there. I'm not putting it up on the screen this time. Turn your Bible there so you can think about this carefully. Romans 8, verse 26. Romans 8, verse 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So one of the things about us is that we're weak, that we, we feel our inability, our inadequacy. We feel that shame of not knowing. And even, we can't even fight the... It, I was talking with a couple of friends, and we are just talking about how shame is not something you can fight logically. It's not like you can just tell yourself, oh, get over it. It doesn't happen that way. When we have, feel that sense of weakness, that, feel, that sense of inadequacy, you don't just go, you know, it'd be like saying to someone, okay, I know you can't run 
the, the, the 100-meter dash like Usain Bolt, but just get over it, you know. Just get over it. You can do it. And everybody would be like, that's ridiculous. Of course you can't just get over it. And God doesn't want us to just get over our shame. He wants to, he comes into our shame and he gives us so many blessings. And the first one here is he says, likewise, the spirit, God gives us the spirit of God to help us in our weaknesses. How does he do that? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings to be for words. Paul's acknowledging, hey, we don't even know what to pray for ourselves at times. Do I pray for strength? Do I pray to get out of here? (laughs) Which one is it? He says here, we have the Spirit of God who who prays for us when, when we don't even know what to pray for ourselves. Not only that, but he goes on to say, And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God the Father and the Spirit are united together in working on our behalf. And that's why Romans 8.28 is here. It says, And we know, therefore, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. He's saying, look, even in the, the, the mistakes you've made, even in the trespasses and the breaks in relationships and the shame that you feel at times, God works everything together for good. God conquers the evils that you've committed and, and is able to turn them to good. You say, how does he do that? I don't know. <laughs> Just that he does. He will. And the greatest example is Christ on the cross. All the hatred and rejection of God, the ignoring of God that we've done in our lives, Christ takes on himself and pays for that at the cross so that we are restored into fellowship with God. God's plan in his infinite wisdom is to reunite us with him. And so he even takes our evil and turns it, not not that the evil is good, but he molds it into good. Can I just give you maybe a slight example of how this might work? If you're a parent, you understand how your your children can act up and and do evil things, like if they have siblings. They can be fighting with each other, right? As a parent, you have the ability either to, to, to to destroy your children in the process or to make something out of the evil they've perpetrated on one another. Yeah, someone with a bloody nose, someone who's crying, someone who's mad, and you have the chance to take that situation and turn it to good, to, to, to use it for good in, the, in your two children's lives. God does that with us. He doesn't just wipe it away and say, oh, it's not evil, it's no big deal. But he actually turns evil and molds it into good. Give me, let me give you a couple of ways that he does that. Let's go down to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Saying, look, you have, you have this redemption in Christ, and if Christ has redeemed you, then he's able to, to give you all you need. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trespasses, right? Things that would separate us from God's love. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What he's saying is, hey, he lists off these things. He's like, these aren't theoretical. Tribulation is not theoretical to a Christian. Distress is not theoretical to a Christian. Famine is not theoretical. Nakedness is not theoretical. Danger is not theoretical. These are things that Christians go through in the real world. How is it possible that, that God can take those evil things that are happening to Christians and use them for good? But he says it here, verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He takes the evil that should destroy us and he makes us victors in the midst of it. Why? Because we're redeemed. Because we're bought out of the slave market and we're set free the glorious freedom of the children of God, so that anything in our lives is not for our enslavement, it's for our freedom. So we can live in joyful, the joyful love of God wherever we're at. And that's why he concludes, for I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you get the point? <laughs> nothing, 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 nothing can separate, separate you from God's love. Why? Because you are redeemed. You are bought out of that slave market. And you are gloriously free to walk in the love of God forever. And that's why he uses the term, according to the riches of his grace. Say, I don't know how today's going to go. I don't know how this week's going to go. I'm not sure how to handle this relationship. I'm not sure what to do about that. You know what? Yeah, you need to come up with a plan. You need to decide what God wants you to do. But even if you mess up, God is still with you. Even if you fail, God is, won't leave you. Even if you're like, I don't know how this is, you know, I messed up and this is going bad. God's still there with you. God actually can use that situation for good. And that is true freedom, is it not? That's freedom. I'm not enslaved by my desires. I don't have to live for myself. I don't, have to, I don't have to decide, oh, I think this is going to make me happy and I've got to go after this or I'm never going to be happy. There's only one thing I need to be happy, only one, <laughs> to know what Jesus Christ has done for me and to know that I've been redeemed. That is the anchor to your soul that you need in the midst of a world that's about performance, about control, about making sure that everything goes the way everybody wants it to go. And everybody's fighting with everyone else because they want their way to win. Well, they're not happy. You're redeemed. You don't have to buy into that mess. You don't have to fight that battle. 
you're redeemed. Can I, can I just show you how this lives out? And let's look at, we looked at redemption's riches, okay? The, the, the riches of just being free. <laughs> being free of even have to worry about yourself, in a sense. But let's talk about being redeemed. What does it look like scripturally? And this is an amazing concept as I've meditated on it this week and thought about it. Let's just talk about some verses that kind of bring this into play. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what man shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is, coming to, with, to, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. But just notice again that phrase, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You know what's amazing when you're redeemed? You have everything. And, and you're able then, if you have everything, in a sense, you're able to, to not worry about yourself. It goes back to what he said at the beginning here. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And non-Christians, when they hear that, they, they think to themselves, well, I, I don't want any part of that. You mean I have to follow some rules or I have to do some th- things that, that, are, that are hard to do, that are difficult to do? I, I don't want any part of that. I want to live for myself. I mean, if I can't decide what's good for me, then why should I live? But when you're redeemed, when you've been set free, even from yourself, you can say, you know what? The one who loved me enough is now asking me to do someone for some, someone else that's going to cost me something, and I'm, I want to do that. I'm willing to do that. Why? Because it's about Jesus and not about me. I'm free. I'm not enslaved by my desires. I'm not held captive but what I think must happen. I'm able to set aside my desires and do what's good for someone else, even though it might cost me something. The more I've meditated on that this week, the, the more I realize that's where true joy comes from. You want a pursuit of happiness? Pursue doing what God wants you to do, even when it costs, might cost you something. Why? Because you get to love and experience the fact that you're redeemed. Like, you want to know that you're redeemed? Then give up your rights for someone else. Do something that was good for someone else and not for yourself. That's when you know you're redeemed. So I, was, I ran across this story. Back at, this, this is Leonard Dover, okay? It was, uh, it was a German, or Denmark, that area. There's all one country back then. Um, and the Moravians were a group that was, they, they were known for wanting to love God. In fact, they had, like, they kept 24-hour prayer meetings. Like, they had somebody in their group praying every hour of every day for like a hundred years. I mean, they were that devoted to loving God. But Count Zinzendorf, one of the, the Moravians, 
who had wealth enough to travel, he traveled to the, the West Indies, the Caribbeans, right? And he saw the slavery that was taking place there. And Leonard Dover wanted to go and help the slaves in the West Indies. And they asked him, why do you want to do this? And so this is what he responded. He says, and I'll try to, because it's a little weird English, obviously, since it is desired of me to make known my reason. So he's saying, if, if you're asking me why I want to go, I can say that my disposition was never to travel during this time. That is, I, don't, I, I, I never wanted to leave my home, okay, is what he's saying. I never really wanted to go be a missionary. This is not what I desired to do. But my, he says, but my only, my only desire was to ground myself more steadfastly in my Savior, to know Jesus better, okay? Then when the gracious count, that is Count Zinzendorf, came back from his trip to Denmark and told me about the slaves, it gripped me so that I could not get free of it. I vowed to myself that if one other brother would go with me, I would become a slave and would tell him so, and also that I experienced from our Savior that the word of the cross in, in its lowliness shows a special strength to souls. As for me, I thought, even if, even if helpful to no one in it, that is my commitment, I would still give witness through it of obedience to our Savior. He's, he's saying, look, even if no one gets saved, I, I'm still showing that I'm obedient to my Savior. Why? He says, because... On that island, there are still souls who cannot believe because they have not heard. He's saying, there's slaves out there. There's no way they can hear the gospel because no one's going to go to them. I'm free, but I can become a slave in order to tell people about the redemption that they can have in Jesus. And I'm not saying everyone has to do that. The, the point of being free is that you're free. You can do what God wants you to do. But if God wants you to give up your rights to do it, then you're free. You can do it and be joyful in it. I think that's the, 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 the catch that Satan likes to throw in. He's like, yeah, if you give up your rights, you're never going to be joyful. You're never going to have any joy in your life. But you're free if you do it freely. Out of joy for your Savior then you are truly free. Paul writes it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, right? For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those under, outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Here's, what, here's the, the freedom we have as Christians. Not that all choices are valid, but that one choice matters above everything else to give you true happiness, lasting happiness, no matter what other choice you make in this life. And that's to believe in what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And when we choose that that is more important than other desires we have, we show that we are redeemed. That this is truly what gives us joy. To live not for ourselves, but for the one who died for us and rose again. And Paul's saying, this is the way I live. 
And I want to balance this by just saying a couple things. Paul says it, actually, not me. He says, only let a person, in 1 Corinthians 7, only let each person lead the life that God has, God has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. He's like, you don't have to be like, okay, I'm free, I'm going to go way over here and do this. No, where you're at, if you're a parent, you're not like, well, I'm not free because I've got this kid. No, God gave you that as a gift. You're free to love and serve God in that relationship. And he uses, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision nor counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition to which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. There's the key idea, right? You're bought with a price. You're God's now. Don't, don't let human rules keep you, but recognize the gifts God has given you. If you're a parent, parents. God has given you the joyful freedom of parenting, of living not for yourself, but for your child. If you're not a parent, God has given you the freedom of living not for your child, but for other people to serve and love them. He concludes, so that brothers, in whatever condition each was called, therefore let him remain with God. And what he's not saying, what he's not saying is you can't change your condition. Like if you're not married, you got to stay unmarried. Or if you're, obviously he was clear with that. If you're a slave when you're saved, you, can, you have to remain a slave. And he's saying if you got the opportunity, set yourself free. What he's saying is you can be content where you are, able to serve God, and if God gives you a different opportunity, then if you feel God, God has given you that opportunity, go after it. Why? Because we're redeemed. That's the whole point. We're free. We don't have to live for ourselves. We don't have to decide, I'm only going to be happy if I'm married, or I'm only going to be happy if X and Y happen, but only going to be happy if I live in Ames, Iowa. We're all happy, right? Why? Because it's not about us. We're redeemed. God has set us free from the, the enslavement of our own desires into the glorious freedom of the children of God. To live not for ourselves, but to live for the one who died for us and rose again. And to live in such a way that we're able, willing to give up our freedoms to love those around us. That's why, frankly, we have community groups. Not because every person in that group is perfect and you get to hang out with perfect people. Okay. But because we're all redeemed and we get to, to, to live not for ourselves, but for someone else. That's why we have core groups, and we're going to invite you, if, you're, if you would like to get involved in one, we're going to invite you soon to get involved in one. Why? Because we, we, it takes difficulty sometimes to think through, okay, I'm redeemed, but how do I live for God and not for myself? But I want to do that, but I, it takes work, and it does take work. It's not like redemption is just, and freedom is totally, like, no, no work at all, but it's glorious work. It's wonderful work. To live not for yourself. You know, when I was single and not married, 
passages like 1 Corinthians 7 convinced me that for myself, okay, I'm just talking about for me, getting married was good for me because I was way too selfish. I, was, I could live for myself so easily when I was single. And I was like, I need to get married. Why? Because I can no longer live for myself. And my wife reminds me of that fairly often. And, and I should be glad of that, right? Because I'm redeemed. I don't get to live just for myself. I get to live for her because God's given her to me and me to her. I get to live for my children because God has given those to me and me to them. And we get to live in the glorious freedom of God, choosing to live not for ourselves, but out of love for others because we love the one who died for us and rose again. So, brothers and sisters, you who share in this heavenly calling we have, if you're redeemed, live redeemed. Everything else is slavery. Everything else is slavery. I don't care about the culture war. I don't care about your family strife. I don't care about anything else. Live redeemed. Everything else is slavery. And I know it. I watch the news. I see Facebook. I get it. There's a lot of things that people want you to buy into. Desires are like, hey, you need to fight for this. You need to go here. You need to do this. You need to do that. No, you need to remember that you're redeemed. It is the anchor to your soul. Do not lose that anchor. Jesus paid the price for your redemption. He loves you with an infinite, amazing, extravagant love that will never separate. <laughs> You'll never be separated from him. So live in that freedom. Rejoice in that freedom. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. You're chosen. You're adopted and you're redeemed. Enjoy it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the redemption that you purposed for us in Jesus Christ. And it's so easy to get caught up in things we think will satisfy or things we need to fight for or things that we need to, to look to for happiness. And we forget, or we ignore, or we just maybe never even realized what it means to be redeemed, that we're free to, to know God's love and to walk in God's love, even in the midst of distress and persecution and danger, that nothing can separate us from your love. And therefore, we have a glorious inheritance, we have a wonderful freedom to not live for ourselves but for the one who died for us and rose again. Oh, Lord, help us to enjoy that this week. Help us to live in, in joyful peace, giving of ourselves to others because you have given so much to us. We are truly 
redeemed. And we thank you for that. In your son's name.